All right, y'all. How's everybody doing today? Yes, see some action. I love it. So good. Well, I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. And uh, we had a great, if you were here with us last week, raise your hand. Yeah, it was a few. Wasn't that cool? Yes, Ricky. Oh, I don't know if we're, we're, we're going to be here on Christmas Eve, Ricky. Uh, we're going to be celebrating and worshiping here that morning. We'd love to have you here, buddy. That'd be great, man. So good. Uh, but yeah, Thanksgiving was awesome. And all. We, uh, last week, we actually, uh, instead of having our traditional worship service, we were able to have a meal together. We just filled that whole lobby, and it was just really beautiful. Uh, anybody who came by, uh, who wanted to stop by, we had a meal together sitting around the table. It was beautiful. I want to thank everyone who made that happen and your love and commitment in that. But I hope everyone who was away, you had a good time. You had some good rest, got to see some family, and uh, it was good for you. Well, we're entering in the season of Advent, but as we start, I'd love to pray and get us going here this morning. Lord Jesus, God, we, you're already here. Feel your presence. We know you love us. God, I just ask you as we enter into the season of Advent that you instill in our hearts to slow us down, to put our focus on the things that of your heart and not our own, to remove the hurry, to see you for who you are and what you are speaking and actively doing within our world today. Also, Father, I want to just be sensitive and understand that many times the Christmas season or holidays, Lord, oftentimes highlight some pain that some of us may be experiencing. The empty chair at the table to the new things of being with, doing new things without those we love. And God, just in that, Lord, I know you sit with us in our pain and our grief. I just ask you, Lord, to bring peace to those who mourn. Uh, this season and be with them in that. Lord, just speak to us today. Open our hearts to hear your word, to challenge us, to move us, to change us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're new here today, my name is Joel. Uh, I am the Care and Connections pastor here, and I'd love to, if you haven't had a chance to talk yet, uh, I'd love to invite you to hang around a little afterwards, and I'd love to hear your story uh, and hear who, get to know you a little bit, so I invite you into that. But here at Love Chapel Hill, we celebrate this first Sunday of Advent. So maybe that's something new for you. I love uh, earlier, I love how Nick and Eli lit the candle. They came to me about, what, two minutes before we start. Do we need to tell them what Advent is? Like, no, I got it. It's okay. It's good. I appreciate it. It was a good question. So I understand that that terminology may be new for folks. So if we're going to just take a moment and just kind of run through that and what that means. But in the Christian calendar is a space where we intentionally enter this time of waiting, walking into a longing for the arrival of Jesus at Christmas, but also resisting the urge to rush ahead to the nativity, that we engage in what we could call a countercultural approach against the hurry, against the rush, against the bright lights, and kind of slow down and walk into this place where we can call it more of a pilgrimage season than just jumping to the celebration. 
It's like saying, all I want for Christmas is Christmas itself. The Advent is slowing down, reflecting on how we prepare our hearts for the arrival of Christ in this world today. So Advent, the word Advent actually means arrival or coming. And this is an important distinction between uh, Advent and Christmas. Christmas is the day we celebrate the arrived Christ, the arrived Jesus, two feet on the ground, breathing the same air, experiencing the same experiences. With all the sunburns, boo-boos, and broken hearts and joys, Christ, God, came and entered this world. We celebrate that. But Advent is about the journey to that space. It reminds us both of the king who arrived and also the same king who will return. We can learn from the reflections of the past and seek hope for the future. So on Christmas Day, we celebrate the arrived King Jesus and what he did and how he did it. And in his life, how he came and transformed this world, we can celebrate that absolutely. But this is a moment to slow down and evaluate what got us to that place and where we are today. So we see in the life of Jesus, he came, he was born, and he walked this earth. And after his death and resurrection, he returned to the right hand of the Father, where Scripture says where he is today. And he left the Holy Spirit here with us to guide us and grow within us, absolutely. But he is there, and he gave a promise that he will return to finish the job. Because through his death and resurrection, we see the demonstration of the defeat of death. And through his forgiveness, we see the demonstration of the defeat of sin. We can stand in those truths today. But he made a promise that he'll come back and finish it. Bring full redemption to all creation. Where there's no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. Just love and hope and peace and joy. We stand firm in that promise. So in Advent, we step into a different heart posture of actively waiting for his return. So we know he came, but we also are in a back in a place of waiting for him to change us all again. So Advent actually begins in the dark. This idea where the darkness li lives and light is yet to come. And it highlights that we need a Savior, that we need a Messiah, that our hope resides in the desperate need of Jesus. So Advent reminds us of the value of the moment in the dark just before the light gets turned on. We can only really value the brightness and the immenseness and beauty of the light if we really only understand the dark first. You ever walked into a room and you've been in the dark for a while and you hit that light and your eyes have to adjust? They have to kind of take in the immenseness of that. This is not that God wanted a dark, sinful, broken world, no. But in the value of having that, we see how bright he is, how changing it is, how it changes the atmosphere, it changes what we see, it changes how we see things. But we can only value that if we understand the dark. So Advent takes us from both trial to rest, preparation to fulfillment, from despair to hope, from longing to satisfaction, from searching to finding and being found by Jesus. We can celebrate that. Advent gives us the opportunity to acknowledge we need a Savior, and we need a Messiah, we need Jesus. This is an important season. And understand that this is not an anti 
Christmas season uh, type approach. If you know me, you know I'm the opposite. I love Christmas. I, my house is lit up. It's Griswold as I can get it. It is. I love Christmas, the presents, the tree. You can ask my wife. It just, it's just lights me up this time of the year. Um, enjoy that. Absolutely. This is not saying please don't enjoy that and understand that celebration. But it's an invitation into a different posture and a different approach in the season. That we get this every year. To step into this place of seeing the value of the coming king and not rushing to that celebration, to change us, to move us, to walk in that pilgrimage together. So here at Love Chapel Hill, we wanna, we take, we're taking this very seriously. I always say we don't take ourselves seriously, just Jesus. And uh, in this moment, this is a Jesus serious moment. But we were, we were taking this, this season, this approach to slow down, to breathe, to, to eliminate the hurry, uh, very, very intentionally this year. And we're doing this in a big encompassing way from these, the sermon series that's starting today, right now, that we will meet every Sunday and walk through uh, Advent. But we're also our dear friend, uh, those of you who've been around Love Chapel Hill for a while know Pastor Matt Leroy. Yes, yes, great guy. Yep, yep, I knew some Matt Leroy fans in the house. So Matt was uh, one of the key founding pastors, along with Pastor Justin, for Love Chapel Hill. There would be no Love Chapel Hill uh, without Jesus first. That's what Matt would say. But also Matt Leroy answering that call to start this place. The 14 years, that's right, Darren. Absolutely. And so Pastor Matt and his brother Josh, who's awesome too, uh, wrote this uh, daily reader uh, devotional a couple years ago called Protagonist. A, the, uh, the series up here, the book up here you see. And they also created this year some great resources that many churches around the world are walking through this together in this intentionality of if this space of Advent. And so we're going to invite everyone into that, whether it's coming here on Sunday mornings for the remainder of this month, to actually this, this book up here is purchasable. You can get it at seedbed.com. I believe Amazon has it as well. Uh, it's small. It's not that big, but it's a daily reader that has each day you would start reading it and have uh, a moment with the Lord in that space. It takes you all the way to Epiphany. And we we'll invite you into that. But if you don't want to spend the money, that's totally cool. I'll get that. It's actually free online. So you can go to seedbed.com, uh, same place you would get the book. And you sign up for what's called the Wake Up Call. Uh, yeah, there you go. Wake Up Call fans. Beth, I know you're there. Um, wake Up Call is it comes to your email every day. Um, it's both a podcast and just a reader. You can read it if you, or if you want to listen to actually Pastor Matt uh, walk through the daily reader. Um, but I invite you into that. It's already started, but it's okay. You can kind of catch up. You can look back in the archives there. And uh, also you can just if you get the book and kind of catch up real fast. It started on December 1st. We're only a couple days in. Uh, so I'd love to invite you into that space to take a pause and maybe where you're learning and studying and just kind of walk in this place of Advent together. Uh, this month. Also, uh, we, they provided this, Pastor Matt provided this wonderful resource for small groups. So our, our Tuesday night Bible study, which we call the story. Um, yes, there you go. We've got lots of fans of things here today. Uh, we even decided to take a pause and kind of uh, switch it up and just walk into this space of Advent together. Uh, so on Tuesday nights, we're meeting at our, our, our friends, um, our friends at the Chamber of Comers allows us to use their conference room. It's on Estes Drive. Love to invite you there. We had a great time for the first one the other Tuesday. Uh, we've got three more left. 
but you don't have to come to all of them, so you're not behind. Just come. But Pastor Matt actually provides a video. We listen to it, and then we kind of talk through um, what he said. I also want to invite our other small groups, our established small groups, that if you're learning uh, and growing in some certain way, we'd love for you to continue that. But if you would thought to consider maybe to pause that and use these resources this month, we'd love to kind of all grow in the season of Advent together in that space. But if all those other options are just not for you, I still want to just leave an encouragement in you. Uh, This month, leading up to Christmas, whether it's taking in a daily reader or reading a scripture every day, maybe the birth of Christ story, you can find plenty of that in, in the gospel, especially in Luke, or it's just saying a prayer every morning, maybe the Advent prayer you heard earlier or a prayer that you find, um, but just set yourself in a posture, a heart open to what the Lord has to say to you this month. I want to join, uh, invite everyone to join in this pilgrimage to see the value of investing, investigating the value of actively waiting by reflecting on the coming King, to open your heart to what God is saying to us today, that we need Jesus. We need Jesus to step into the story. So the idea of protagonist, uh, Pastor Matt um, and Josh had written, uh, they opened the book, and I'd just love to kind of invite us into that space where he quotes C.S. Lewis, author and Christian thinker, where he says, Hamlet could never meet Shakespeare. Think about that for a moment. The author cannot meet the characters they create. They can give them their hopes, their dreams, their voices. They give them the environment they live in, but they can't meet them in person. They could put the voice in their mouth, but they can't say hello. They can't shake their hand. Unless, unless, this is what Lewis was expressing, unless the author writes themselves into the story. So the idea here is that in this world, the creator did such a thing, coming down as a baby, stepping into the story and becoming the main protagonist, the hero of the story, the lead character who created the story and the environment and this character entered in and changed it and saved it from within. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. But God decides to fix everything from the inside, so he experienced it and lived it and grew within it. And he did this out of love. The creator did this out of love, a love for us, a love for his creation, a love for humanity steps into this story, a story that has been known to be broken, a story that has been known to be troubled. He, cry, he hears a cry in the darkness and steps in and fixes it. And he says, they, they cry, Christmas come down, and Christmas arrives and changes everything. So God came out of love, love for everything he created. And we see this in Scripture over and over as people cry out to the author of life to fix things. From the very beginning, when the fall of humanity and brokenness came, God promised he would fix it. We see it in many of the covenants that were made with Moses and Moses and Abraham and Noah and David. These stories over and over, God fixed this, step in. So God creates these covenants. He creates these relationships with a broken people in a broken place and partners in to, that leads us to the beauty of Christmas Day, to Jesus stepping in. We cried out and God answered there's this beautiful notion and story in the book of Isaiah. Uh, it's, 
it's a considered probably what you call a lament. It's a prayer. It's a cry to God to change things, to make something new. And I know many of you, especially if you've been around for the last few weeks, you're like, Isaiah again? We just did an Isaiah series. Yes, we are still a little bit in Isaiah today. But if you remember in that, and those who were here, they're making a cry for help from the Lord. They're coming from a certain place. They're coming from a place of brokenness. Their once great nation was broken apart and separated, which led to invasions from empires, to captivity, to exile, and then a return to nothing, to recreate. There are people in civil unrest, people who knew war, people who knew captivity. They're in this grief and this sorrow, and they're making a cry. Let's read together in Isaiah 64. Oh, that you rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one had heard, no ear had perceived, no eye had seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait on him. Wait on him. So this passage here starts with a cry. Cry to rend the heavens. Now that's, maybe it's a strange word. That's something we d- tend to use, or at least in that context. In the Jewish context of what Isaiah is crying out here is, they would be rend their garments. So this was a, symbol, a physical symbolization of pain and grief. And what they would do, they would take their garments and rip them. They would rend them apart in this physical demonstration of their soul being stretched and torn. So Isaiah is calling back to this idea that saying, God, come, rend the heavens, asking God to grieve with them to feel their pain, to not just witness it, but feel it. Come with us, walk beside us in this pain, to physically feel the pain and be in their darkness. Maybe you find some connection here. Maybe you've prayed that prayer. It may look different. You say, Lord, help me. I can't do this. This is too much. I don't know if you understand Can you feel this? Do you understand what I'm going through? This is that same heart, that same cry out of pain that we do even today. This is what Isaiah's cry for his people is saying. But just as their cry is also our cry, also their solution is our solution. Let's continue here. He says, rend the heavens and come down. So Isaiah is not just asking for God to feel and grieve, but he's asking God to physically be present, to do something about it, to fix the pain, to heal the sickness, to cure, to restore what has been lost. They're crying, help me, help me, help me, but help me here. This is a unique prayer. He's saying, God, you're the only one that can fix this. This It's not a prayer saying, God, teach me how to fix it. It's God, you fix it. You love us. You love this world. You love this creation. Come down. They're asking God to be the protagonist, to be the main character, to step in, to take control. 
And this is, this is interesting coming from Isaiah. Isaiah's had a message, a unique message that in the time they weren't really catching and understanding. This prophecies, he had pro- many prophecies of this coming Messiah, this Savior. He truly believed God was going to come down. We see this in uh, verse four, uh, chapter 7, verse 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. We sang this earlier, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. This is the first time this word, this name is used. And the Gospel of Matthew connects this right to Jesus, God with us. This cry for God to come help us in our pain, in our darkness, but to come and physically fix it. God, you're the only one that can do that. You're the only one that can save us. Just as we sang that song today, we still cry that out today. God, help me. Save me. Change me. Grow within me. Fix this situation. You're the only one that can change it. Their cry is our cry. Their solution is our solution. History is filled with challenges. Absolutely. History is filled with different challenges, uniqueness, different wars, different cultural differences, different aspects of time. We are not unique to having problems, but we may have unique challenges. This is why Advent is so important, to understand that what we experience and what we live in God is still there, and we can still cry for his help. Now, maybe differences in, in, in this day, there's a lot of different challenges, but our cry can still be heard. This is the beauty of Advent. It helps us see that we still need to cry and ask God for a rescue, that we can't do it. We need a Savior. We need him to change us, to move within us. Asking God to step into the story and fix our mess. Maybe today you said, I have asked that. I've asked God to help me. I'm still waiting. I'm still wondering, leaving wanting. God, are you listening? Can I hear you? And maybe you found confusion in that. I understand that I have too. But I think Isaiah's cry here helps us understand a little bit maybe why we're confused or don't see the understanding of why we wait. Continuing verse 3, he says, For when you did awesome things that we did not expect. So Isaiah, in his position and prayer, he's doing two things here. It's interesting. If we look at the verse 2 and verse 3, he's connecting. He's using this imagery of fire lighting twigs and mountains trembling. He's doing two things here. First, he's reminding God and himself that, is, that God does the unexpected. That's great. God has done the unexpected. He's, he's highlighting these two stories very specifically. The one with the fire and the twigs is highlighting what the Jewish people would have, would have understood what he was saying was the story in Elijah, where Elijah has this challenge with, uh, with uh, pagan monks and, and, and priests, and uh, fire comes, the long story short, fire comes down from heaven and lights this altar. And it's an amazing thing where God steps in. And then the mountains trembling is this highlight of 
the story of Mount Sinai with Moses, where it was said that when the cloud would ascend upon the mountain, the, the mountain would shake. So Isaiah is saying here, God, you do the unexpected. We did not see that coming. But also he's, in a way, he's re, in reminding God, you do these things, so you're going to do something like that, right? Kind of creating an expectation. And I understand that. I mean, in these two, these, this is what they knew. This is what they understood. And he knew that the readers of what he was saying would catch what they were doing. But they didn't understand that when they cried for help, it wasn't going to come in fire and it wasn't coming to Mount Trembling. It was going to come with a baby in a manger, stepping into this unexpected place. And this carries on this bit of creating these expectations, kind of builds from this moment. They start to believe there is a Savior. They, they believe the words of Isaiah. And we jump, jump forward a little bit to the first century where we do get the Christmas story. There's a true belief and an understanding that the Messiah, the Savior, was going to come because they were going to come more as a warrior, a warrior prince. Because at this time, the Jewish people were occupied by Rome. They're occupied again. This is a thousand years since Isaiah. And they're in this place of needing a Savior. They're crying out again, saying, God, save us, come down. But they had expectations of what God was going to do. They believed God was going to come, this Messiah was going to come, and they were going to come overthrow Rome and sit on a throne and stand in all his glory and overcome the world for the nation of Israel. They forgot the promise that the nation of Israel and the covenant with Abraham, that, it, that the, the hope of the world would come through Israel, but to the rest of the world. They saw the hope was actually only going to affect them. They expected this specific Savior to come and do this very specific thing. And they got something very different, and they missed him. Many missed him. They couldn't understand him. They wanted a throne of power, but God arrived in a manger. They wanted generals in an army, but God sent angels to the shepherds to take witness on Christmas Day. They wanted religious conformity, but he sent the magi, people who did not believe in the God of Israel, but acknowledging that God is on earth before even many of the Jews did. They wanted a political uniformity, but they got foreign kings worshiping the king of kings. They wanted a warrior prince, but they got a prince of peace. And I believe, and I want to be fair, I think it's easy to say, oh, what in the world? Why couldn't you get it? Where did you get these expectations? If I look at my own self, I do it all the time. I'm just being fair. I know many times I'll read about the stories of how Jesus interacts with the Pharisees. Maybe you had as well, and you're like, oh, wow, they're definitely, there's probably a great safe assumption that they were protecting their power, their positions that they had, and that clashed with Jesus, absolutely. But I also think they were stuck. They were stuck because of a lot of their cultural influence and the environment that they were in. They lived in oppression. There was great fear of more uprisings in Rome, stepping in and stomping their feet and wiping them out, not letting them worship as they wanted to worship, taxing them higher. You know, there was a fear of their environment. There was a fear of cultural influences from other pagan gods at the time. There was, there was this idea, like, we, we just need to, we have all these problems and all these things are so complicated. God, come down, but just eliminate all that. 
just erase it instead of walking in some of the nuances and the, and the challenges that Jesus actually did. As we see he walked underneath all of that. He walked in the margins. He met with the poor instead of the powerful. He healed the sick instead of staying with the healthy. This is that, we call this that upside-down kingdom. But what we see here is God stepping into the story, subverting the cultural moment that it was in. And attaching that today, I think that's so easy still to do. As I said earlier, we, we are not, our challenges aren't new. They may be unique in history. But we can be still influenced or we are still influenced, I know I am, by our cultural moments, influenced by power. God, come down, save us. But let me give you a few expectations and how I think you might do that. We're drawn a lot in this world. I feel this tension in many conversations, especially when we meet somebody new. It's like, is there eventually going to come to a place where we talk about a topic where I have to pick a side. I must be on one side or the other, and, and this is will dictate our relationship. Kind of lost the moment of sitting in the nuance, sitting in disagreement, and having conversations. And I believe the church has fallen. You know, just many people, it's just, it feels like we have to pick one way, and we, we create, and it's unintentional, it's out of a good heart, but we create expectations and we stop listening to what God may be actually trying to say and what he's trying to do. It becomes kind of a trap. And we get stuck and we miss Jesus. We miss maybe what he's saying. We're asking for help. God, pray and save us and step into the story. And then we don't see how he's doing it. We may be missing what he's doing. Uh, John Mark Homer, he's a, a pastor and an author. I love how he expresses this about expectations. He says, The problem with creating expectations in our heads is we become slaves to that ideal, and we fail to see the real solution to the question. We need freedom from our expectations to see Jesus work in our lives. There's a trap that we place expectations on people, and we do this in general relationships. It's like my, my beautiful wife, you know, if in our marriage, if, if I create a picture in my head what she should be and how she should be and how she should function, how she should relate to me, how she relate to others, and every time she doesn't hit that, it's going to create tension and pain and, and challenges. And also the most important part of that is I miss the beauty of her and I miss the beauty of that relationship because I've created unhealthy expectations. There's a part of understanding who people are in our friendships and our relationships and understandings of, of hard topics. And we can listen to the other and get to know who they are and their place where they're coming from. We have real conversation. So we have to let go of our expectations. But how do we do that? It's easier said than done, right? This is where the script gets flipped. So we can, we can be what we can call being expectant without placing expectations on God. Expectant without expectations. Isaiah helps us again in verse 4. He says, Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, 
No eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait on him. What is he saying here? He opens up here with ancient times. He's hearkening back. It's a, it's a reminder of the covenants. We mentioned those earlier. The covenants God made with the people. He's saying God has made promises and he's held true to them. We see in the covenant with Noah, he says, I will never destroy the earth again. And he makes a promise. He sends in, in this beautiful rainbow as the symbolization that he will not do this again. And then we, that passes on to Abraham. And he sees faith and hope in Abraham. And he says, I can work with that. And he says, Abraham, I promise you, I make a covenant with you that through your family, through your lineage, through your seed, I will build a nation that I will abide in. And in that nation, I will change the world and fix it. And we saw that in the accumulation of Jesus coming in through the Jewish people. He says, I will draw people to me and I will change this world. And we see that promise again with when the, that people of Israel that God had made that promise to hold true to them. And they were caught in captivity in Egypt for 400 years, crying out, God, save us, come down. And he sent Moses and God steps in with these miraculous ways to set them free and taking them to a place of promise, a land where they can flourish and grow and thrive and where God can be the center of the story, can be the protagonist. And these promises, and then he comes to David, the king inside that nation, after that fulfilled promise, says, through your line, because of your heart, I will bring everything. I will bring myself. And we get Jesus. So what Isaiah is reminding the people there is that God has made promises and he always comes through. There's this part of crying out and asking for help. God, come down. I'm suffering. I need your help. And receiving that, knowing that God says, I will come. I will be there. And standing expectant in that promise, knowing that there will again one day there'll be no more sorrow, no more tears. We can stand in that. We stand in the promises of Jesus says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Come to him. He will take you with you and walk with you. Promises of a sovereign God that has control of everything and works within our hearts and changes us. Those promises are still true. And we can stand on those promises. Those who wait, who wait on him. So there's a difference in being expectant than expectations. Another little analogy. It's like you get a leaky pipe. Who you call the plumber, right? You call the plumber and say, hey, I have a leaky pipe. Can you fix my pipe? Like, yes, I promise I'll be there. That's expectant. They're coming. But creating expectations is saying, okay, I'm expecting them to come in a van. If they don't come in a van, I'm not opening the door. You know? Or they get in and they start fixing like, yeah, that, that, that's not the wrench I would use. You know, it's this idea that we create stumbling places and we miss the expert, we miss the hero of the story, and we actually end up being, we're making ourselves the hero because we're still writing the narrative. We ask for help, and we let the hero of the story be the hero. We let the main character be the main character. So I hope it's, I hope it's healthily challenging today. Understand, maybe when you're asking for prayer, God, help, save me, come down, fix this. But walk in an expectant heart, open to what God can say and do and speak 
and allow the expectations to fall away. And maybe you're in a place and you're seeing that, struggling with that today. I understand that. Sometimes it just, that's the beauty of Advent. It's a time to pause, time to reflect. Why am I confused? Why is this thing so huge? God, what are you saying? He still talks to us. He still speaks. He's still active. And especially if you're here today and you, and you consider yourself a follower of him, it's that space of letting go and following. It's an action. It's saying, I will follow you. But it's allowing him to lead where we go, to be the hero of the story. So I'm going to ask you a question today. Who is the main character of your story? Where are you asking God to step into your story? And are there expectations that you need to be removed to let him be the main character? So as we start Advent this season, use this time to pause, slow down, to evaluate how to see God. That could be some of the ways I mentioned earlier, or just sitting in prayer in the mornings and setting your heart in that posture. God, what are you saying? Where am I getting in the way? What are you doing? In our knees, we can cry out and ask for God, just as Isaiah did. God, grieve with us, be with us. Come down, fix this, be with us. I know you're going to do this in the most unexpected way, but I'm expecting you to be here. But you do it as you do it. You are king. I am not. As we close today, I would like to invite our friends to come help serve the Lord's Supper. And John, if you mind, come playing. The beauty of, we celebrate this every week. Whoop. We take the bread and the cup and we, rem- where we doing this act of symbolism of doing what Jesus himself asked us to do. The night before he was taken and killed, he had a meal with his followers, his disciples, his closest friends. And he says, simply do this in remembrance of me. And he breaks the bread, the symbolism of his body that was broken, days to come. And even though they had expectations that got them in trouble, only one of them was actually at the cross. The rest were hiding in fear. As he shed his blood and says, I am transforming the world through this and I'm going to conquer death, we can remember that and understand that even those closest to him sometimes get it wrong. There's forgiveness in that space. But there's time to reflect and do this in remembrance. So today, as you take the bread, we're going to start a line down here, and, and my friends Pixie and Hope are going to serve you. They'll give you a piece of the bread, and you're going to dip it into the cup. I invite you to come and take it, and take a moment, and maybe reflect as you do this. Say, God, I remember what you did. I remember how you changed my life. Whatever your story is, what that moment or that, that journey, that pilgrimage you took, and God changed you in it, Take a moment to remember that. And then also maybe take a moment to pray. Say, God, I'm asking for help again. Step into my story. Be the main character. Change me. Make me new. I give to you as my king in this space. So I invite you now to come down and partake of the cup. We have a gluten-free option as well if somebody would need that. Thank you.